every country treats. You know we can work together and learn. Welcome to the ISA Science of Arboriculture podcast series. This is Dr. Tom Smiley at the Bartlett Tree Research Laboratory, host of this podcast series, which is brought to you by the International Society of Arboriculture and the F.A. Bartlett Tree Expert Company. Today's podcast is by Dr. Andrew Kozer, who is an assistant professor of environmental horticulture and landscape management at the University of Florida in Tampa. He is speaking on his research and experiences with the removal of wire baskets from new transplants in the landscape. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining me today. My name is Andrew Kozer. I'm at the University of Florida, uh, outside of Tampa in Florida. Uh, today's talk will be Remove or Retain Research and Anecdotes Surrounding Wire Baskets. Um, not so much of a thing where I am now in Florida. But where I grew up and where I studied in the Midwest, wire baskets were kind of the norm. And the controversy surrounding them has been along for quite a while. And we'll talk about that today. Um, first, I'm going to start out with a little bit of a side note, a little, um, just a cool little thing I found while walking around Tampa one day. I saw this big oak, this big live oak, and of course it caught my eye. As I walked over to it, I saw this plaque next to it. Uh, National Arborist Association, if you um, are newer to the industry, is now TCIA. And this is a joint plaque from both the organizations, ISA and TCIA, saying that they recognize this tree was significant as having witnessed Tampa grow from a population of 5,500 to the thriving city that is today in 1997. Again, uh, 13 years in the past, so this tree is going long and strong, um, and Tampa's is now 400,000 people. So quite a bit of growth has happened around this tree. This tree has persisted for a long time, and when we plant trees, this is what we're shooting for. We want this longevity, we want trees to get a good start and persist for as long as possible because that's when they pay back the most environmental benefit. Uh, but what do we, where baskets have to do with all this? Um, you know, there is competing thought on the subject within the industry and within the green industries in general. A lot of folks, um, especially folks in the nursery industry who have no control over trees after they leave their facilities, worry that wire basket removal and the removal bald of burlapping materials will kill a tree. <laughs> At the same time, people who work with trees in the landscape, arborists and landscapers, uh, worry that not removing the wire basket in the burlap will kill a tree. So having diametrically opposed viewpoints is rare, <clears throat> especially when we're all looking at the same evidence, maybe not so rare as it used to be. Um, and that raises a question that is worth investigating with research. Um, so why do we use wire baskets? Um, they were developed specifically for tree spade use on um, the mechanization of field nursery production. They're faster and stronger than drum lacing, which is the art of tying up a ball, a root ball with rope. And, and it's, it's a very beautiful thing if you've seen it, um, but it just takes too much time and too much labor, which is a cost for green industry production. Um, the wire basket is very strong and you can, be used to, you can use it to maneuver trees at the planting hole. Um, we don't wanna put any pressure on the trunk, especially when we have these multi-hundred pound, multi-kilogrammed, uh, soil balls that could weigh down the trunk and snap it. And wire baskets are specifically 
um, really good at allowing nurseries to grow on land that maybe uh, they couldn't use before, specifically sandy and gravelly uh, nursery soils. Um, so what are some arguments for the removal of tree wire baskets? Um, first, there's the fear that um, wire basket removal will um, lead to curdling or, or partially curdling of the root system. Uh, and this is something that was addressed in part by some research um, by Glenn Loomis at the University of Guelph in Canada, um, where he looked, and I'll show you a little bit more of the study in, in the future, uh, about a, a willow on his campus and their ability to fully engulf and, and grow past wire and resume function of their vascular systems. Um, even if girdling isn't a problem, folks worry about the long-term instability of trees. Here's a picture from um, Ed Gilman at my university, retired professor at University of Florida, where he found um, cracks forming where the wire was in contact with the root material. Um, and that could be a source of long-term instability if it becomes a problem and weakens the root wood. And then there's also issues and concerns of safety. You know, trees eventually die, even the longest lived ones. And if the wire basket can persist for decades, like some people believe and have witnessed, um, then what do you do about stump grinding when you have that metal in the, embedded in the stump of the tree? <clears throat> and finally, um, given all this, you know, a lot of cities and governments are already putting in the specifications that wire baskets need to be removed and Granting organizations such as Indiana Forestry, I think they have that in their specs as well. So if you're not doing this, you're in violation of specifications that are existing for the work. Um, arguments for retention. You know, uh, you know, sandy, gravelly soils, once you remove that burlap in the material, the root ball is extremely fragile and heavy and can um, break apart. So normally we suggest that you don't remove any of this material until the ball is actually in the hole. But even then, as this picture shows from our study, um, you can have some issues with the root ball cracking and disrupting what, what little limited root system is remaining in this tree. Also, when you remove the root ball, that, that root ball is a, um, a huge anchor for bald and burlap trees. But if it's not intact, um, you may need to produce or use supplemental stabilization measures to keep a tree upright, especially if you have winds or in that kind of critical transition where the leaf uh, material starts coming out in the first spring flush and the roots have not established into the surrounding soil. Also, there's concern of added labor. If this does not do anything, and that's a concern of some folks or it's actually det detrimental, you're adding labor costs to a planting process for no good reason. <laughs> and finally, um, some reasons for retention is that some nurseries are actually so concerned about this, they will not honor warranties for trees where the removal, where burlap has been removed and um, wire has been removed on their trees. <clears throat> so there has been um, one kind of critical look into this topic in the peer review, and it was by Bonnie Appleton and Charlene Floyd in 2004, where they looked at all of the research and all of the recommendations that were in both peer review and uh, professional literature on the topic. <clears throat> uh, it's a pretty comprehensive assessment of the literature, 
But as you see here, if you actually look at the peer-reviewed research in this review, there are only two studies out there, uh, one by Glenn Loomis and a student, another one by Loomis again later on in the 80s and 90s. <clears throat> so the first study was by Loomis in 1988, and this was um, an assessment of campus trees on the University of Guelph. Um, and they looked specifically at some 11-year-old willow that had been planted with the wire intact and did kind of a visual observational assessment of them. Not many reps in this study, more of an observational ad hoc thing. Um, but in doing so, in this really short article that they published in Hort Science, they found that there was full enclosure of the wire and that they suspected that um, there was restoration of the vascular function and that it was likely. They did not test it in this study. But um, despite this, they concluded that concerns over the effects of wire baskets being detrimental for the long-term health of trees might be overstated. <clears throat> um, then the second study by Loomis and um, Goodwin and Loomis uh, was actually four years later, and this was of more of a, an intentional study. Um, it was in a greenhouse, and what they did is they took um, seedlings that were um, hackberry, willow, and ash, and actually intentionally girdled them with appropriately sized floral wire to simulate this kind of girdling that could occur if wire baskets were left intact. <clears throat> and in doing this, they found that only in the full girdling treatments, as shown in this picture, that you see a significant difference in uh, leaf dry weight for girdled ash. They did not see any differences in whole plant weight um, differences after one year um, overall for all three species, but they did detect one significant um, response, and that was in leaf um, dry weight in the girdled ash, as I mentioned. So they, they noted in the study that this was kind of a model system and that extrapolation of the findings from a single season experiment um, would be difficult given the longevity of trees in the landscape. <coughs> However, they had the same conclusion that they had in the original study in that um, they felt that um, the concerns were probably overstated, especially when you considered as much as 98% of the root system could be lost when um, transplanting bald and burlap trees. So given this, um, there isn't any real conclusive research out there showing that leaving or retaining a wire basket in the burlap material is detrimental or beneficial or neutral. Um, and when you have these gaps in literature, it's, um, it, there's need for further investigation. And that's something the tree fund found um, that they could support when they first supported our, our study that I'll mention next in the next slide. Oh, but despite that, and despite having inconclusive evidence, you know, folks are still making recommendations. This is actually a paper, uh, an infographic that Bonnie Appleton developed, the late Bonnie Appleton, so I'm not trying to pick on her. I want to be very clear about that. Um, after that lit review, and I found it surprising that she included in this list of um, 24 ways to kill a tree, retention of the wire basket as one of the things that you could do to kill a tree, kind of a tongue-in-cheek infographic. Um, others take a more of a reserved and conservative approach to this. Um, this is Ed Gilman's work, um, some, some guy that he put together after 
the hurricanes of 2004 and 2005, showing how to properly plant trees and reforestation efforts. And he wrote that there is no research documenting the detrimental effects of wire baskets on trees. If you decide to remove the wire, do so after the tree is in the hole and stabilize the tree to prevent overturning. And if you look, there's a lot of different um, best management practices and advice that go across the boards. This is a list that was compiled by Mike Coons, who's researched things like wire basket and burlap in the past. Um, I'll show you some of that later on. <laughs> but he's found that the Forest Service suggests cutting and removing wire and cutting the strings in the burlap to expose the root ball. ISA and its BMPs and study guides say to cut and remove string and wire from the trunk in the top third of the root ball. Alex Shigo, the former um, researcher at the USDA Forest Service and uh, father of arboriculture, suggested removing the string and pulling back the burlap to see if the roots are even present. The Arb Day Foundation, um, they recommend after the tree has been placed in the hole to remove the wires and then other guides uh, all kind of suggest some sort of removal um, despite a lack of evidence supporting it. So again, we, we felt the need to investigate this. This is a work by myself, Richard Howard, the University of Florida, uh, Wisconsin Stevens Point, Jeff Edgar, a nursery grower in my home county of Manitowoc County, Wisconsin, and then Dave Kleinhusen um, from the Twin Cities area, another nursery grower and landscaper. Um, so this was a kind of a academic and industry collaboration where we looked at three different levels of burlap removal and wire removal, ranging from our intact, which was A, to a partial removal, which is the top third that ISA recommends for B, and then a full removal of the burlap in C. As I mentioned, our first location was in Manitowoc, Wisconsin, which is along Lake Michigan, my hometown. Um, and this was um, done back when I was in grad school and I had a lot longer and less gray hair. The other study was in the Twin Cities area and um, it was conducted actually the year after the first one in Manitowoc. Um, but we combined the results for the study. We looked at Norway maple and honey locust. Norway maple um, purportedly having a deeper root system than honey locust. We want to see if there was an impact of that. Um, and then our, our treatments again, as I mentioned, full removal, partial removal, and fully intact. To remove the wire, um, we did what I will call the Hauer-Werner method, um, just because it, that's kind of one of those ridiculous things that academics do is just a joke. Um, but what I was taught at Stevens Point when I was a student there is that if you remove the bottom of the basket first while the ball is outside the basket, the natural taper will kind of cradle it and allow you to move it into the hole where you can remove the rest of the basket and get the entire thing off, um, not just the top third. So for our full removal treatment, this is what we did. Um, we measured time to plant. Visual root, or visual root ball rating of any damage, such as the stuff that you see in the bottom picture. We measured caliper growth every year, twig elongation on uh, three low sun exposed branches. We measured via chlorophyll fluorescence, which is essentially a fancy flashlight. And you flash it on the leaf, and if a leaf is healthy and the tree is not stressed, it'll use that light for photosynthesis. 
And if the tree is stressed, a lot more light will bounce back and the sensor will catch that and show you how stressed the tree is. And then finally, we looked at rooting strength um, much later on through some static pull testing. <clears throat> so here's our disruption scale. <clears throat> We're looking at zero, which is no disruption of the root ball, to five, which is complete bare rooting. Um, and here is our, here are our results. Um, we're looking at growth and stress in this table. So we have our treatments, which are intact, partially removed, full removal for Norway maple and honey locust at both sites. And we're comparing our caliper growth, our annual twig growth, and our um, chlorophyll fluorescence measurements. If you look here, this is what I would call a sea of statistical non-significance, which is um, kind of disappointing as a grad student, but I also see it as optimist that this is what I call the you can't lose study, where if you were pro-removal or pro-retention, you are, you are right either way. So everyone should be happy. Um, the one significant finding we did have was one of the um, groups of Norway maple at the Forest Lake, Minnesota site. We did see a slight difference in our treatments for chlorophyll fluorescence, that stress measurement. Um, I chalked this up to um, just a, a false positive, honestly. When you see this trend of overall non-significance, but you have all these comparisons being made, I don't see this as being overly significant and the numbers kind of play out as that way. Um, overall, the, the trees in our Manitowoc site were slightly more stressed than the ones in the Minnesota site. Um, the ones in the Minnesota site were kind of at the, the range where we expect um, healthy non-stressed shade trees to be at, um, where we had some droughtier conditions at the Manitowoc site during the course of this initial study period, which was um, uh, three years. One of the things that I mentioned earlier is a, a reason that removal was not recommended among practitioners was that it can be a cost um, as far as labor is concerned. So we did a planting trial where we just looked at the added time it took to remove the basket in the entire process of planting. So we had a stopwatch and it was like, how long does it take us to remove this material <laughs> for each of our treatments? And we found that on average, partial removal added 2.5 minutes to the planting time and that was about the same for full removal. Um, and there was really no difference between partial removal or full removal. They were both equally as fast or as slow, I guess, um, in this case. So looking at RS means data and how long you'd expect to plant an entire tree, that 2.5 minutes was 3.2% of the labor associated planting or a cost of $5.58, which is about the, the cost of a summer baconator at Wendy's. So not a huge investment, something you could definitely pass on to the homeowner or whoever is contracting the work to be done. <clears throat> so why, you know, so this still doesn't answer the question. You know, as I said, this is the everyone wins study and that doesn't make people happy, <laughs> especially if they have a, a dog in the fight and they wanted to be pro removal or pro retention. Here again is a uh, an article posted on Mike Marshall's website, Marshall Tree Farms, where he mentioned that you know leaving the basket intact 
um, is beneficial, especially if you are in hurricane or storm prone areas like Florida, because they've seen that these, um, these treatments um, tend to keep the tree upright in heavier winds. I have to say that we uh, experienced something very similar. A storm hit our Minnesota site three weeks after planting, and we noticed um, some overturning, which was corrected very quickly, and we did not see any changes in growth. Um, because of this, we recorded and kind of tried to capture that in our analysis to make sure that there wasn't any confounding. So after this first study, I presented my results at the Iowa Shade Tree Short Course, and I was there, Bob Bleacher from Eagle Nursery in Nebraska came up to me and said that he had started a study nine years earlier with the University of Nebraska <clears throat> looking just at this question. And unfortunately, in the time that he had been monitoring these, the uh, professors that started the study had retired. So he was looking for someone to help him analyze the data, and I was happy to help, uh, oblige given my experience with the research material. <clears throat> in this study, in this study, 45 autumn purple fractions Americana trees, which are um, a, a white ash, were planted in a random arrangement that even Bob didn't know until we got the data key from um, the folks at the University of Nebraska. <sighs> trees were tree spaded only, um, so no materials were used at, at all. They were planted B and B with everything removed from the top, and then they were B and B with everything um, removed um, in general, and they measured caliper height and survival over eight years. Um, just like our first study, I didn't mention this, but all the trees survived in both studies. Um, and the only significant difference in growth was with height. Um, and it was just marginally significant or not significant, depending on if you're an optimist or not, um, at 0 0.05 or 0 0.07, so 0 0.05 is a common threshold for statistical significance, and it was just right below that threshold. In contrast, caliper growth was not significant and, and really not significant at 0 0.30. So, um, height growth. So as I mentioned before, that this was kind of marginally significant given our treatments. Um, you can see there was a little bit of a gap in years two, three, and four, um, but as after a while they started to converge on each other again and the treatments were not significant. <clears throat> Caliper growth, um, you know, there was, it was very similar in the earlier part of the study and then you started to get a convergence kind of, at, or a divergence, I guess, at years five, six, seven, and eight. Um, so we looked at this data in specific to see if that the signal from these years was not being washed out by the whole data set, um, but we still did not find a significant difference even as things started to separate with the full removal being slightly um, bigger in diameter than the wire um, intact in the full removal. So, um, so with that, we had short-term results from the Wisconsin and Minnesota study about three years. Um, and then we had this longer eight year study or nine year study as it came out to be when we finally got all the um, data collected because we did one more year after what I showed you. Um, we decided to revisit the stuff from Manitowoc and Minnesota, do some more growth measurements and then do the final 
um, assessment of rooting strength by using some static pull testing. Um, so this is a static pull setup. This is one that we used in uh, another study, but it's very similar to what we used in our two studies mentioned, um, where we just have a simple inline um, load cell pulling to the tree to one degree, um, which we use a digital caliper for, and then um, measuring the force and then calculating the bending stress based on the diameter of the stem to kind of normalize everything. Because if you don't normalize for diameter, you know, things that are a little bit thicker, a little beefier will seem tougher than things that are a little bit more slender. Um, so, you know, as I mentioned that we kind of staggered these studies where the Mantuoc one was a year before. So this data is five or six years old, depending on the site. And we, we pulled these things to one degree to see how or if there was any difference in their rooting strength. The results of this study, which is currently under review for the Journal of Environmental Horticulture and should be published and ready to show very shortly, um, is that, you know, we did have a difference in twig elongation between the species, but no difference among the treatments, even after the longer five to six year time frame. Um, looking at our caliper growths, we had a similar divergence that we saw in the Nebraska trees that over time, you know, we were starting to see the, in this case, the partial removal kind of getting a little bit thicker um, than our intact or our full removal. Again, not significant, but a, a trend and worth noting, especially since, you know, these trees were all sacrificed at the end of the trials. So we really can't follow up to see if it would continue to spread over time. Um, Nova Maple, we did not see any such divergence. Um, so there might be a species kind of effect in their ability to cope with any stresses that are occurring below ground. Um, speaking of stress, bending stress or our anchorage measurement, we uh, did not find any difference among our treatments again, although uh, the full removal, there was a slight uptick, not significant in the honey locust. And there was a significant difference between the two species, as you can see here in these results, with the, um, the honey locust being a little bit more strongly rooted than the Norway maple. So the question is, you know, we have these diverging opinions. Our research didn't give us any conclusive findings that would say one was right or the other. So, I kind of think in my mind, you know, if, if people can have opposing views on the same topic, there maybe is no clear, you know, no clear pattern, especially with all the trees that are planted all over this country. Um, we're not seeing anything clear like we saw of stem girdling roots and other issues that came to light over time. But if there truly is no problem with keeping the wire basket on, where did this reputation come from? And I think maybe there's some confounding with the burlap itself. Um, for a while, synthetic burlaps were being used quite a bit and research by Michael Coons and others has shown that, you know, that can be something that impedes root growth into the surrounding soil. Um, and, and in a study, they suggested actually removing synthetic burlap and here's a picture from Gilman showing kind of the results um, played out in the landscape. Um, and also, I think that there's kind of a symptomatic 
you know, um, thing happening here. So when you see a tree that's dead in the landscape and, and you go to remove it and you see that the wire basket and the burlap are completely intact and the tree hasn't grown any roots, you think this burlap and the wire killed the tree, right? And, and that's, that makes sense. But is it really a causal relationship or is it symptomatic of the soils which are so poor that not only do they not degrade burlap, they don't degrade metal, um, they, they're not allowing for root growth to occur, you know? And that could be a case. This is a landscape below ground. Um, I think this is the first one um, published in 1994, the proceedings, and they actually were using metal rods, on, you know, um, just kind of steel rods, just like you would use for um, the same material that you would use in a wire basket to gauge how good a soil was. If the steel rods were rusting, it was a sign that the soil was productive and good and, you know, based on the level of deterioration. So some caveats to the study. Um, we did remove any burlap and rope that were right around the trunk of the tree because um, we noticed after the first growing season for our intact treatments that they just, it wasn't degrading fast enough. And we made the judgment call that we had to remove anything around the trunk because we want to prevent girdling from that. So I, I would say that that is definitely something that needs to occur um, based on our experience. Um, also we, you know, nine years is long from a research point of view. Most, you know, most graduate students are in it for two to four years and that's kind of by default the, the lifespan of many projects in our field. Um, but it's still not long in the life of a tree that could live for decades and decades. And so I think more research need to be done based on existing planting records and, you know, they have to have good records on how things were done and when BMPs kind of came in and look at things observationally over larger samples and larger populations of trees to infer some sort of trends if possible. Um, and with that, um, I, I didn't solve the problem. I didn't solve the controversy. I think that um, we didn't see anything, you know, in the short term. So I think there's no evidence to suggest that wire baskets need to be removed or retained. So um, it, only time will tell. This concludes Dr. Andrew Kozer's talk on removing or retaining wire baskets from new transplants in the landscape. His talk was originally presented at the 2020 ISA virtual conference. The views and information expressed are those of the speaker. Please join us next month for another presentation in the ISA's Science of Arboriculture podcast series. Trees in every country. Trees, you know we can.